Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Blackhawk. And uh, we are going to step away from uh, the series that we have been doing for the uh, last several weeks, the I Am series, the statements of Jesus and the Gospel of John. And for the next two weeks, we're gonna be looking at this topic of politics uh, and faith. So uh, there you go, we'll come back to the I Am series, but right now we're gonna be, for the next two weeks, politics and faith. I'm gonna do the talk today, and then Pastor Matt will do the talk uh, next week. Now some of you are really tense, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like what, why are we doing politics and faith? You know, this, like, this is crazy, it's like so divisive and things like that, and you're like crazy to do that. In fact, I was talking to a pastor friend not too long ago, he was in the Chicago suburbs, and we've really been good friends for a long time. And he, he, he says to me, like, well, you gotta be crazy doing a series on politics and faith. And then he, and he said to me, then he goes, hey, you are about ready to retire, aren't you? I can totally tell. And so, yeah, that's true. I am about ready to retire in 249 days, if anyone is actually counting. But uh, I don't think it's actually crazy to do this. In fact, I think it's the leader's job to move towards those things which are more uh, difficult. And man, this is a difficult topic, politics and faith. When it comes to talking about politics, I'm like way out of my league. So many people at Blackhawk Church know way more about politics than I know or than uh, Matt Metzger knows. I mean, oh my gosh. We have professional politicians in our church. We have a whole bunch of lawyers in our church. We have people who work downtown. We're a state capital, and they kind of work in politics for a living. So like, there's so many people who know way more about politics than either Matt uh, or I. We've done a little bit of reading uh, for this and some of the books and articles that we've read, you can find uh, on our blog page. As you go to our blog page, you can see, I think there's 10 or 12 different articles that we have looked up and kind of read and stuff like that, so that might help you out uh, a bit. But just because we've read a few things doesn't mean like there were experts about politics and neither Matt nor I are pretending to be experts on politics, that's for sure. But we do know something about the local church and how to pastor a local church. And I can tell you uh, when I sense something that is coming into the church that is threatening to divide uh, the church. And that is what we're talking about here with politics. So let's just move right toward it. Uh, let's not avoid it. I mean, it's the elephant in the, or maybe the donkey in the room, I'm not sure. But it's, you guys are talking about it, you're texting about it, you're posting about it, so let's just move toward it. There'll be two weeks, and then uh, on November the 8th, Pastor Charles will come back to our I Am series, and he'll talk about the statement where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And on November 8th, I think we're gonna all need that talk. Also on November 8th, no matter who wins uh, the presidential election, we will pray uh, for that person and his family. It's the kind of thing that God would want us to do. Hey, is it just me, or do you also feel like this is a little different, this election cycle? Is it just me, or do you feel that too? I, I sense in our country there's more 
polarization and more division this time around than normal. I sense that people are just a little tense. Actually, many of you are tense about uh, just sitting there and listening uh, to the talk uh, right now. Several of you have actually uh, emailed uh, myself and Matt with some articles and books and things like that and say, hey, before you do your talk, make sure you read this uh, article. In fact, I got an email from someone that said, if you don't endorse uh, my candidate, we're leaving the church. If you don't endorse him, you lack courage and conviction. Can I just say that's unusual? I don't usually get those kind of emails. So there are two things about a talk on politics and faith that make it inherently difficult. One is uh, the people that I'm talking to, and two is the Bible itself. Let's talk about number one first. The first thing that makes a talk on politics and faith really difficult is, well, us, uh, you guys that are, that are watching. Normally, uh, I feel like the distribution of political views in our church are distributed like a normal bell-shaped uh, curve. We're always gonna have a few people who are really, really strong uh, Democrats, and we're gonna have a few people who are really strong uh, Republicans, but most of the time, in most election cycles, I feel that most of us are kind of in the middle, and we just kind of, oh, it's the lesser of two evils, we're gonna vote for somebody, and there's not a lot of passion. There's passion that some people have, but not most people are like, let's get it over with. I think this was different, this cycle. I would actually reverse uh, that curve, I'd say it kind of feels to me uh, like this, where there's a whole bunch of people who think Biden and Harris, oh my gosh, all kinds of people. And then there's a lot of people who say, no, we have to vote for Trump. And I feel like there's very few people who say to me, yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I think it's not like that. People, more people feel strongly on both sides. In our church, uh, on kind of the uh, red side, People on the, on the Republican side, they think, well, it's the, the abortion issue, Pastor Chris. We should vote uh, for the Republicans because of the abortion issue, and that's a no-brainer. And then they feel, actually, if I can be honest, in our church and in our community, outnumbered. And indeed, in 2016, 71% of Dane County voted for Clinton and 23% voted for Trump. And they feel outnumbered at Blackhawk, uh, too. And sometimes they've actually said to me, are we actually welcome here? Brothers and sisters in Christ, are we welcome here? On the blue Democratic uh, side, people feel very, very strongly. And, and, and sometimes the number that they're thinking about on this side is the number 81. 81% of white Evangelicals voted for Donald Trump in 2016, and many people in our church are thinking, that's, that's embarrassing. You gotta be kidding me. Two out of every five evangelicals in our country are people of color, and the vast majority of people of color did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. They were afraid that he would fan into flame racial tensions that have been simmering in our country for many, many years. A vote for Trump would be a vote for not reconciliation, but more racial division. All I'm saying is this. I feel like in our church, there's all kinds of people over here and all kinds of people over here. 
and not so much of people that just like, well, whatever. In fact, I've heard this uh, statement in our church. The statement goes uh, like this. How could anyone who calls themselves a Christian vote for, fill in the blank. How could anyone who calls himself a Christian vote for Trump? You gotta be kidding me. How could anybody who calls himself a Christian vote for Biden and Harris? You gotta be kidding me. That's what I've heard in our church. So that kind of brings me to the purpose of today's talk. So the purpose of the talk today is, if we can put that reverse bell curve back up, the purpose of the talk is not to convince you like who to vote for. This is exactly the opposite of the kind of phone calls and texts you've been getting uh, you know, all the time, some five or six a day. Somebody's trying to persuade you to vote for someone. I'm not trying to persuade anybody to vote for anybody. But I'm trying to persuade those of you who are on this side to be able to understand why a committed Christ follower would vote for the other side. And for those of you who are on this side, I'm trying to convince you that there are reasons that a committed Christ follower would actually vote for the side that you can't stand. So I'm actually trying to get you to appreciate the other person, not trying to change your vote. Practical reason for that, actually, is that uh, many of us have already voted. (laughs) So my wife and son and I voted on uh, Friday at one of the libraries. We had to stand in line for about 45 minutes uh, to vote uh, absentee. So many of you have already voted. I'm not trying to change your vote. So one of the reasons a talk on politics and faith is difficult is because, well, the people that I'm uh, talking to in our own church. Second reason a talk like this is difficult is because of the Bible, (laughs) the Bible. So there uh, are words that we feel strongly about. Political terms we use are not found in the Bible. Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. What does the Apostle Paul have to say about the Democrats? Well, let's look that up right now. (laughs) Or, 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 Or what does Moses say about the Republicans? Well, let's look that up. See, inherent difficulty of a biblical talk about politics is that these words don't occur in the Bible. Just, I'm just saying it makes a talk like this really hard. So where do we start? Where should we start? Where would you start? I think the best place to start would be maybe um, a place where we would, on both sides, we would actually agree And so that's the rest of my talk. (laughs) Might be disappointing for you. But I actually want to talk about um, two things that I feel, whether you're on the red side or the blue side, you would absolutely, yep, I totally agree with that. And here are the two things. The politics of Jesus and the style of Jesus. All right, let's talk about the politics of Jesus. The politics of Jesus. Jesus is Political. There's no doubt about that, biblically speaking. Absolutely, he is political. He's a big deal politically, absolutely. Here's some verses. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Matthew 28. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, Revelation 1.5. Seek first the kingdom of God. Of the greatness of his government, there shall be no 
And these words that are highlighted, these are all political terms. Ruler, kingdom, his government. Make no doubt about it. Jesus is political. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He is over all things. So he is the ruler over all things. He's very, very political. And those of us who follow him should also be political. We should be political in the sense that we're following the king. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love what one of my former professors, uh, Tony, Evans uh, said, he said uh, this, Jesus is not coming back to take sides, he's coming back to take over. Somebody say amen to that, because that is exactly uh, the truth. Jesus is political, and if we're following him, we also should be Political. Now, some of you are going, whoa, 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 Pastor Chris, you gotta be kidding me. You've always said that the church is not political. Man, you shouldn't be retired, you should be fired. Like, what are you saying, Pastor Chris? Listen, stop, 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 stop. I understand, I understand why this can be confusing. And I actually could be a cause of much of that confusion because sometimes I mistakenly say we shouldn't be political. What I mean by that is that we shouldn't be partisan. Uh, there's a difference. We should be political in that we follow the politics of Jesus, but we shouldn't be partisan. So Blackhawk Church is not gonna tell you to vote Democrat or Republican. That's partisan. That's a secular world to try to help us understand this. Years ago, the elders wrote a statement about politics and faith at Blackhawk. They wrote this. Our refusal to take positions on political issues and candidates is not because we are trying to avoid moral issues about which the Bible speaks. Our goal will always be to teach what the Bible says about principles of morality and justice. However, applying those principles in a fallen world often involves compromises and political trade-offs about which reasonable Christ followers can differ. Amen. One of the reasons we feel strongly about being nonpartisan is because we're trying to reach everyone in our community. We're trying to reach Democrats, Republicans, Socialists, People in the Green Party, communists, it doesn't matter. We're trying to reach you. And in our world, especially for non-believers, politics is like a religion. It's like the most important thing. And if people sense that we were partisan, they might feel that it's hard enough to come to Christ. They might feel that they actually have to agree with a particular political party, align with a particular political party in order for them to come to Christ. And we don't want to do that for them. We want them to come to Christ. We don't want them to worry about, are they Democrat or Republican? Trust me, you guys, there are Republicans in our city who don't know Jesus Christ. And if they had the inkling that, oh my gosh, they're all Democrats, they wouldn't want anything to do with us. And there are people in, in this city who are Democrats and they're not believers. And if they thought we were Republicans, they'd have nothing to do with us. Do you, does it make sense? That's why I never tell people how I vote. 
Because if people think that I'm voting for candidate A, if they're really for candidate B, they won't trust me. Does that make sense? Let's look at that statement again uh, from the elder board. Our goal will always be to teach what the Bible says about principles of morality and justice. However, applying those principles in a fallen world often involves compromises and political trade-offs about which reasonable Christ followers can differ. So let's look at a couple of case studies to just flesh this out in the politics of Jesus. Let's look at some things that all Christ followers should agree on, and then we'll see how we might actually come to disagree about how that's actually applied. Okay, you follow me? All right, first, politics of Jesus. Here we go. Jesus' politics. He showed special concern for the marginalized and the poor. This is Bible 101. So this is like from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. God has a a huge heart, but his heart is really big for those, the other, people who are marginalized, people who are poor. He has a huge heart for that. And Jesus is, he just, almost every page in the New Testament, you can see that he has a special concern for those, the other, the marginalized, the ones that people don't care about. Those are the people Jesus really cares about. A lot of passages we could go through. Here's one, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. That's a political statement. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, the passage goes on and talks about the kind of the opposite uh, side when people don't care about those people who are the other, the outside. But for our purposes, I think this is enough to help you to see that the politics of Jesus is that he has a special concern for the, for the, the marginalized, the people who are poor, the people who everybody walks over. He has a special concern. For, and he identifies, actually, with those people, special concern. That's the politics of Jesus. Everyone who is a Christ follower, should say amen. That's the politics of Jesus. 
Now, how do we actually apply that? Ooh, that's where political trade-offs and that's where arguments begin. Some people might say the best way to show uh, concern for the poor and the marginalized is through the private uh, sector, through the free market, through a smaller government, through local. That's the best way. That's the best way. And those people would tend to vote red, Republican. Others could say, no, no, no. The best way to show concern for the poor and the marginalized is to have a larger government the government should have more money, more policies, more different kinds of things. That will distribute more money to more people. That's the best way. You see, those are two different ways of applying the same politics. We should agree on the politics. Our motive should be, we should have a special concern for the poor and the marginalized. How we actually apply that in the voting booth, that's where the tensions come. How you guys doing? You follow me? We all agree on the politics of Jesus, how that actually applied. That's where the debates begin. Let's do another one. Let's do this one. Jesus politics. God cares for the born and the unborn. I hate to talk about uh, this subject, I hesitate to do it uh, because for many of us, this is not just uh, a political issue. It's a personal issue. Many of us uh, in our church have, have had unplanned pregnancies. We have had abortions. And I don't want anything that I say in the next few minutes to think that to have you think that you are not loved and cared for in the deepest way by us in this church. But I know it's a controversial issue, so we're just gonna move right toward it, so let's do that. The politics of Jesus is that God cares for the born and the unborn. What's a verse for that, Pastor Chris? Here's one. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's uh, womb. According to uh, Psalm 139, uh, embryos are uh, not just tissue, but they are God's, there's a God's knitting, it's God's knitting. And God is intimately involved with the creation of that human being inside the mother's womb. When John the Baptist uh, uh, was in his mother's womb and Mary approached her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist leaped with joy inside of uh, Elizabeth, his mother's uh, womb, when he heard the voice of Mary. The secular world might disagree with this, but if you're a Christ-following, evangelical, Bible-believing person, you probably say, no, no, uh, the unborn are also important to God just like the born are important to God. And abortion is wrong because it takes the life of the unborn. Abortion is declining in our country, but still the numbers are incredible. In 2017, 862,000 abortions in the United States. The source for that is the Guttmacher Institute. Trust me, it's not a conservative organization. 862,000 abortions. 
if counted, that would be the leading cause of death in the United States. Way more than heart disease, way more than cancer. It's an astounding number. Let's just think about that for a second. All right, how do we apply the politics of Jesus? All Christ followers should be for the born and the unborn. How do you apply that? Well, some would say, well, we should try to ban all abortions as soon as possible. And I think voting for the Republicans is the best way to make that happen. The other side would say, that's a great goal, a noble goal, but it's probably never gonna happen. It's probably never gonna happen. It's a good goal, but it's not gonna happen. It's like trying to ban all alcoholic consumption during prohibition. A good goal, but it's not practical. It's not gonna happen. Instead, half of all pregnancies are unplanned. And many unplanned pregnancies end in abortion. Let's create a world where women will not choose to have abortion because of the health care that they have and because of the job benefits they can actually have by having children. Let's choose that kind of world. I think the Democrats will probably get us there. Again, you can argue these things until the cows come home. What we should not argue about is the politics of Jesus. And the politics of Jesus is... God cares for the born and the unborn. How that actually works itself out in the voting booth, that's where we disagree. How you guys doing with that? You see that? The issues are complex, you guys. That's what I'm trying to say. Our situation might be summarized uh, like this. We are all monarchs. We do not fit in a democracy. We're all monarchists. We follow Jesus first and foremost. But how do you actually apply that in the voting booth? That's, we don't fit in a democracy. It's difficult for us to do that. Now, I just looked at a couple of different issues. There are many, many issues that we could uh, look at. I went to a little booklet by the National Association of Evangelicals, and here are some of the different uh, things that are going on in that booklet that, as evangelicals, we might be concerned about protecting religious freedom, safeguarding the nature and sanctity of human life, strengthening marriages, families, and children, seeking justice and compassion for the poor and the vulnerable, preserving human rights, pursuing racial justice and reconciliation, promoting just peace and restraining violence, caring for God's Creation. Again, I found these in the National Association of Evangelicals in a little booklet called uh, For the Health of the Nation. And then that's on our blog uh, page. NAE is an organization that's an umbrella organization of 40 different uh, denominations and evangelical seminaries and schools. It's a very big uh, organization. And, uh, you know, the president of our own denomination is a part of it. And you know what? Our own Pastor Charles Yu was just elected to be on the board of directors of the National Association of Evangelicals. I keep telling you guys, Charles is a big deal. Nobody ever listens to me. So congratulations, uh, Charles. So here's the deal. It's just difficult. If you're an, a, a Bible-believing Christ-following person, you should be able to take your Bible and do some theology on each one of those topics and come to a decision about what do you think 
God would want me to vote? How would he want me to vote here based on all these different kind of things? And I think you'll find that sometimes the answer of who you should vote for is not as easy as you thought. The story is told of a seminary professor who before he went to vote, he prayed and prayed and prayed for discernment. And then he voted. And when he finished voting, he came out of the booth and prayed to God for forgiveness because he had just ceded power to someone and some organization that was not totally devoted to the kingdom of God. You guys, first and foremost, we are monarchists. We don't fit in a democracy. I praise God for sincere, Christ-following people who have decided to get involved in politics. I wish we had more Christ followers involved in politics. I know people who are Christ followers and they are politicians and they are doing this at sacrifice to their own lives and their family. Praise God, we need more people like that. As followers of Christ, you guys, we should all agree on the politics of Jesus. How that works itself out, that's where the debate comes in. Second, we should all agree about the style of Jesus, his style. What was Jesus' style? It's pretty cool. Jesus intentionally grabbed people who were on the polar opposite ends of the political spectrum. Like in our world today, he'd get somebody who's like really red and somebody who's really blue. And he'd say, you guys follow me. So we have this passage in the New Testament. This is the 12 disciples. First Simon, who's called Peter, his brother Andrew, James the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot. These are two people on exactly the opposite side of the spectrum. You guys, tax collectors were Jewish people who were in cahoots with the Romans. They worked for the Romans. They found out where the Jews are that really needed to owe tax, and they went to them, and they paid themselves. They kind of skimmed off the tax. A tax collector was like another legal way of saying thief. Tax collectors, my gosh. A zealot was somebody who was a zealot. They were a Jewish zealot. They were like into guerrilla warfare. They were into like, you know, subverting Rome in every way possible. They couldn't stand tax collectors. One uh, person who was writing a commentary uh, wrote it uh, like this. Any other occasion, these men might have been ready to stick a knife into each other, but here they are all part of one group around Jesus. And so Jesus grabs somebody from one end and the other end of the spectrum, he puts them together, and then Jesus says, this is, what, this is the style you should have. The way you should be is that you should, you should power up on other people. And no, 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 that's not Jesus. So what was Jesus' style? So here we go. Mark 10. 
You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You should serve because because I serve. That's what Jesus is saying. And he demonstrated this over and over and over again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he gathered his men together in a small Palestinian house in the upper room. And before they sat down and had the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. He got a, uh, he got a bowl and a towel. And he, he, and he got down on his hands and knees and he washed their feet. He washed, uh, he washed Matthew, the tax collector's feet. He washed Simon's feet. And he washed, he washed Judas's feet on his hands and knees. And then he said this, John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That's the Jesus style. So let me ask you a question, Blackhawk. Are you willing to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of someone who you disagree with politically? If, if, if you're gonna vote for Trump, would you wash the feet of a Biden supporter? Would you do that? Or if you think that Biden and Harris are the right way to go, would you wash the feet of a Trump supporter? Would you do that? Or would you stab them in the back on the internet or on Facebook? One is the way of the world. And this, this is the way of Jesus. All Christ followers should agree with his style. Do you have that style? You guys, we're living in a day that's full of division. Families are dividing. Friends are dividing. People at work are dividing. There's division everywhere. People are saying, if you don't vote like I vote, I ban you, I cancel you, I don't follow you anymore. You gotta vote like me. Because in this world, voting is the most important thing about you. We do not believe that. We believe that following Christ is the most important thing about us. Are we following him? Do we agree with his politics and his style? Not too long ago, I got an 
email from a woman in our church. She wrote this. I just wanted to share with you that the small prayer group, five women of various political stripes praying for the upcoming election, is the best prayer group ever. Why? We do not talk politics at all. We do not present solutions. We pray. We look to God instead of trying to hash things out ourselves. We confess that my agenda might not be his. We look at each other and are reminded that sincere Christ followers see things differently. We confess that it is not our job to manage the universe. It is his. This group is all about God's will being done despite who wins the election. These are five women who are monarchists and they're trying to figure out how to live in a democracy. You guys, we're a church of 5,000 people. What if all 5,000 of us had that attitude? What kind of impact would we make in this city for the name of Jesus Christ? That's what Pastor Matt is gonna talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, pray right now for our church that you would help our church uh, be a place that is focused and centered on Jesus Christ. May we be uh, people who don't put a partisan politics first but who put the politics of Jesus first. And Father, uh, as, as, we, as we come to your word and wrestle uh, with different kinds of issues that are presented to us, uh, may you give us just sweet times in your word as we kind of see what would be the politics of Jesus on this subject or this subject and help us to grow in your word that way. We pray, Father, and ask for forgiveness when, well, the world has just influenced us too much. The style of the world has influenced us so much. Where we, we, we've become people who like mimic a, an evil style of, of putting people down and stabbing people in the back. And we, we pray, Father, you would help us not to not to follow that style, but to follow the style of Jesus Christ. Get down our hands and knees and serve people who don't see things the way we do. We pray, Father, more than anything, that Jesus Christ would be the center of our church. We pray, Father, that he would be Lord of Lords and King of Kings in our church and that the world would be able to look at us and see that, yeah, there are all kinds of people who go to that church, but you know what they have in common? Jesus Christ is the center of Black Hawk Church. We pray this in Christ's name, really, and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said, amen.